from the pages of the DRaysBay.com blog. Welcome to The Hit Show. Hello and welcome to an emergency draft special of The Hit Show. We are recording on Monday night. The first round of the MLB draft is happening right now and the Tampa Bay Rays did not pick the guy we thought that they were going to pick, Darby. Uh, remember how I said that the Tampa Bay Rays were going to take Brendan McKay? Just, just going to underline okay, that. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> producer Dustin, step in. Did not pick the guy that I said that they were going to pick. <laughs> I, I am flabbergasted. I did not see this coming, and this is really, really intriguing. Yeah, this is a. Uh... Well, it's an interesting pick for the Rays. It's it's kind of a not a very Rays type of pick, um, but it is exciting in a number of ways. There, there's some question marks for sure, but uh, yeah, I mean, let's get into it. This guy was being talked about as the first overall pick um, for a long and, time. And he nearly was. He nearly and was. He, he absolutely nearly was. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but this this is, is one of the most athletic um, in terms of just being able to play and potentially be selected as a in the top five, in the top three in the number one overall as a pitcher or as a hitter, potentially the best college hitter in the draft, potentially the best college pitcher in the draft. There's questions on both of those, but at the very least, the best two-way player in the draft uh, from the college ranks. And a lot of people have even talked about the fact that he's the best two-way player, uh, legit two-way player since Dave Winfield back in 72. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you throw Dave Winfield in there, that's a, that's a hell of a comp right there. Um, but yeah, he, he, um, that's good company to be in. He's, we should talk about this. Yeah. We should talk about the two way thing because that's going to be the narrative that follows him and he's all about it. Uh, I had a chance to dial into the conference call right after he was drafted and the race threw him on the phone and started answering some questions because there was a ton of Twitter chatter. The MLB draft on uh, MLB network, Rob Manfred gets up there and the commissioner says, the Rays draft first baseman, Brendan McKay. And then all these questions they were asking were like, hey, the Rays said you're not a pitcher, blah, blah, blah. Totally untrue. Jeff Passan, uh, Keith Law, everyone's jumping up and saying, whoa, 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 we need to ro- roll this back. The Rays are going to use him as both. And so all the reporters were confused uh, because the guys with the sources knew something that they didn't. So the conference call just happened, and Brendan McKay fully wants to be a two-way player. And it's important to talk about what that means for a draft prospect because there's a lot of quote-unquote two-way players on the board. Hunter Green, which is the guy that uh, I really loved, I was hoping he would fall to the race, uh, he is technically a two-way player. He hits really well. He can hit bombs in, in batting practice, which is fun, but he is a right-handed pitcher through and through. His speed was grading at like 35 as a high schooler. That's not ideal for someone who is quote-unquote, a shortstop. It's not a very projectable kind of thing. Whereas Brendan McKay is saying, yo, I am committed to being a two-way player as long as the organization will let me. And he even said that uh, the Rays were committed back to him in having an experiment to see how long he could go and how far he could go through the system doing both. So he has self-identified as a two-way player in a way that we're just not accustomed to seeing at all in this draft process. So it's really, really exciting. And that, that element of being two-way initially had a lot of people expecting him to go to a National League team. 
because, of course, the Rays use a designated hitter. The pitcher doesn't hit. So, of course, you would take a left-handed pitcher who can somewhat hit. Uh, that is a very poor logic train to, to jump on. Uh, it's not, good- it's not so much a, a poor logic train. I mean, it does add, you know, guys like Madison Bumgarner, they do add even more of their, uh, their talent through the fact that they can be in a league average or near league average hitter. So it made a lot of sense that national league teams would, would kind of maybe, uh, if they're thinking of, if you like them as a pitcher and you're a national league team, you gotta love that extra little boost. It doesn't necessarily mean you, you take them higher than other people you like better as pitchers. But, uh, if you, if you kind of liked him as a pitcher a lot, the fact that he can hit a lot and the fact that, you know, you're in the league that allows pitchers to hit the fact that he doesn't look like Bartolo Colon batting, uh, <laughs> is a, is a, is an absolute, uh, undis, uh, you know, undeniable plus. Well, but that, 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 excuse me, that train of logic works when you're talking about Hunter Green, a guy who mm. is a, a first grade talent as a right-handed pitcher and by the way, the bat carries, but the defense doesn't. Well, then you go, okay, he's a great fit for a National League team because you want a guy that has that bat profile, just throw him in batting practice throughout, and, uh, throughout his development in the minor leagues, it all works out. Brendan McKay is uh, a first-round talent at the plate, but also a first-round talent in the field. And if you were going to draft him, the, the expectation would be is that you should default to playing first base because as you move through the minor leagues, the thing that you can always transition to is pitching. You see this uh, center fielders, catchers, Christian Benecourt right now with the Padres. It's not going well for him, but he is a two-way player as a catcher. Uh, it worked out much better lose... for a guy like Matt Bush, for instance, who's now you know yeah. a top, top uh, closer in the league. That's a familiar name. The point being is yeah. you, you lose those hit reps – if you lose all those plate appearances, look at Tim Tebow right now. You have to go back to the very bottom. You have to start way over to get all those reps in. It's much easier to start a prospect like Brennan McKay as a first baseman and then say, look, if the first base thing isn't working out, we can always move him back to the mound. This is a very cool and unique situation, though. Um, where should we go next? We're just ranting. Uh, so, so I think one of the big things that you mentioned was Brandon McKay was very much rumored to be a number one overall pick for a long time in this draft prospect or just draft season and very, very nearly was a first overall pick tonight. So, uh, so Danny kind of speak on that. Um, the fact that this was right up to the last second, there was some drama there. There definitely was. And Brendan was forthright about it as well on the conference call. Essentially the twins, uh, Every team has a certain amount of money they have allotted to their draft slot. And the most amount of money is awarded to the first overall pick. No one else can get more money than that guy if he signs for the full uh, amount. And the Twins were not offering the full amount, or they were offering something way under slot in attempts to spend money elsewhere in the draft. And this is something that JT Morgan wrote about on the site today wondering if the Rays with the fourth overall pick could choose uh, a que- uh, if they could choose someone like Bubba Thompson, I think was the prospect that uh, was being thrown around, bandied about, a guy who would be inexpensive but maybe was a stretch uh, in the first 10. 
Brendan McKay's not that guy. I want to be clear about that. Brendan McKay shouldn't be someone who's signing way under slot. But the Twins went to Brendan and said, hey, would you be okay you know, taking less money? And he didn't quantify that amount on the conference call, but he just kind of said, you know, I talked to my family, I talked to my agent, and we weren't comfortable with their offer. You know, we were pretty upset by it. So the, the Twins said, hey, okay, that's fine. We'll take a step back. And they ended up taking the shortstop Royce Lewis. Now, when we talked last week about these prospects, I was expecting Lewis to fall to, like, number five because you and I were both pretty confident Kyle Wright would be the guy taking number one overall. That's what almost every single mock draft expected. That polished, he looks physically like he's ready to just kind of uh, speed his way through the minors pitcher. Kyle Wright ended up dropping all the way to number five, and the guy we expected to be number five went number one overall. How did Royce Lewis jump to the top? Did you follow that? Well, I think one of the keys there, and we were sort of, we did mention this, and a lot of people are talking about it, how the top five or six were not that far apart. Right. They really, really weren't. You, you could, you could like and fall in love with one of those players a lot more than the others. Um, it definitely wasn't a money thing for the Twins. Um, there's a lot of talk, a lot of rumors that uh, Royce Lewis is being advised by Scott Boris, and uh, Boris doesn't take deals. He doesn't. Uh, <laughs> there's no mm-hmm. bargain shopping with Scott Boris. Every one of his clients is uh, is just a tick better than uh, than Ted Williams or like a uh, a poor man's Babe Ruth. I think is usually his comps. Um, so basically, yeah, Scott Boris doesn't take deals. So it's not like they're gonna go they're gonna go cheap uh, there. Royce Lewis, I mean, we talked about it. he's he's a he's a heck of a, a talent and he could absolutely go number one and he did. Um, I think when you have so many like the top five, I think you could shuffle them into a hat and really mix them up about and I think most teams would be fine with any of those and we sort of said that last week and I think that's sort of played out today. Uh, Hunter Green going number two, I, I was pretty confident on that that I think the Reds were were pretty much dialed in. Uh, mm-hmm. So as long as he got to them, they were going to take him. And then it looked like Mackenzie Gore. That there was a lot of smoke there that the the Padres were either Green or Gore, and uh, and they were locked in there. So yeah, I think I think when you when you talk about like oh Royce Lewis, Kyle Wright, Brendan McKay, they're all really good. They're all like basically different sides of a similar coin um, mm-hmm. in terms of potential number one overall picks. And I think you could sell that uh, any of any of those guys could have gone number one. They could have gone number two, and it's just one of those drafts where it's really good to be in the top five. Really, right. really good. So, yay, I mean, Alexi Ramirez didn't, uh, didn't, didn't kill us too much. I know. Now, I would, uh, I would think that Hunter Green would have been taken at number two if the Rays were picking there. I think they definitely liked him uh, the most in this draft, and I think that's fine. I, he's a fantastic athlete, a huge personality. And he seems uh, destined for the limelight. Hunter Green's going to be a very fun prospect to follow, especially when he gets to the major leagues. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with Cincinnati or if he gets traded to, you know, heaven, heaven forbid, uh, one of the big market teams where his personality uh, will be in the spotlight all the time. That would be interesting as well. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, number three to the Padres. Uh, interestingly, uh, Mackenzie Gore didn't know that the Padres were going to take him until it was announced on TV. Uh, and uh, he had no inkling at all. The Padres did not put him through a workout or anything. Uh, but it's also worth mentioning the Rays did not put Brendan McKay through a workout either. Uh, but it's it's more atypical uh, for a high school player to not go through a, a private workout. 
but for McKay, who's a ACC Player of the Year, Baseball America, uh, first team All American, uh, John Olerud, two way player of the I year, Brendan Spikes, uh, or Golden Spikes, excuse me. <laughs> what did I just say? To, to Brendan Spikes, McKay. Uh, Brendan McKay, uh, <laughs> Golden Spikes. Anyway, yeah, the point yeah, being yeah. is, uh, uh, He's a college player. He's got tons of reps, and he's been seen a bunch, and uh, there's less of a concern. Uh, one of the interesting things we can talk about is makeup and the personality. Listening to McKay and reading interviews with him, there's a great one from MLB Daily Dish, uh, one of our SB Nation sister sites who had Q&As with something like 75 draft prospects, where they went deep. They asked a ton of questions, and they asked, you know, what's your strength? And he said, I'm cool. I'm collected. You know, if uh, something's not going well for me in the game, I'm able to put that behind me and move on to the next moment. And listening on the phone, he was definitely cool, calm, and collected. Uh, Hunter Green is fun because he's a big personality, but I'm really excited that uh, if you have a guy like Brendan McKay who wants to be that two-way player who has become known for a thing, in the same way that Honeywell is known for a thing, he's got that screwball. And it's really interesting. This is going to be something that falls, and you need someone who can take that. You need the right kind of personality uh, to be able to shoulder the load of, of having a unique thing to his, his uh, profile. So cool, calm, and collected for sure. And that, I do wonder if that's why Kyle Wright dropped in the draft. Yeah, I, I think Kyle Wright, we, we sort of talked about it with McKay as well. Like They're maybe not as flashy uh, of players, but they're still really, really good. And I think obviously, um, if you're, if you are, you know, Atlanta sitting there, you just gotta be over the moon, just sitting there letting one of the best, potentially the best street pitching prospect in the draft, you know, especially a guy who's should be ready sooner than, than Gore and green, uh, just fall mm. right to you. That's a, that's a real nice player to uh Vanderbilt player to, ta- you know, tie with mm-hmm. Dansby Swanson and, and build that up there in Atlanta. So, uh, yeah, this is just um, a good draft. The Rays sort of let uh, the draft come to them. Um, McKay fell to them, and they they didn't cheap out. They they went for a really um, interesting player, somebody that... Now, I think we do need to talk about one thing with Brendan McKay. The one sort of... The only sort of shine about him that I that is a little off for me is the fact that he is a first baseman. Um he is a guy that, you know, they're going to try out for both. Uh, they're going to probably see how far that goes. Um, the, it would be really, really cool if they could get, you know, do some weird dual thing. Uh, always nice to see if baseball can evolve a little bit and try something new. But that is very, very difficult. So if he is just a, a first baseman, he does have a lot of good hitting tools, but he needs to hit really well to make him valuable. Uh, first baseman, especially in the top 10 of the draft, they need to hit and hit a lot to really make up for that since first baseman is sort of the, the, the position that you f- can fall to. It's not necessarily the position you want a lot of players starting at because there's really nowhere to go. If you're, you know, mm-hmm. got catching prospects, you know, third base prospects, shortstop prospects, you can, you know, move them around. They can try outfield. They can corner. And then eventually, if they really can't defend, well, there's at least first base and their hit tool will still be fine. When you're starting there, he has to hit and he has to hit a lot to make him valuable. That's not saying he can't. Uh, it's just that's the uh, that's the hill that he has to overcome. I mean, Baseball America said that he he hit well enough to be a first baseman. And in terms of major league projection, uh, there's some concerns about the power uh, at Fangraphs. 
uh, oh, I'm going to butcher his last name. It's Eric. <laughs> Eric at Fangraphs. Forgive me. His last name starts with an L, and I'm not going to get it right. Uh, but the hit tool was, I think, 55 or 60. I'm remembering off the top of my head. Uh, Scott Grower just put a, a scouting report piece up on the site, and he talked about McKay projecting as a 280 hitter with something like 20 home runs annually. And the hope would be that that power would develop more, but the power was the only question mark. So if the Rays feel comfortable with him adding power, and he's already you know, a stockier guy, he's thicker, he's not, uh, he's not twiggy by any, by any extent. So I think you could project some power on that body and it would be okay. One last thing we should say about Bernie McKay before we move on to the Major League squad is I actually really like his throwing motion. It's got a little bit of a deception to it in that he hides the ball really well. Uh, he has a fully extended arm down behind his uh, back leg, and he's able to conceal the ball for a good amount of time. He's a fastball, curveball pitcher right now, uh, and if anyone can develop a changeup, it's the Tampa Bay Rays. So I feel good about uh, where he's headed. Um, but I also feel really good about his throwing motion. And I think it's a... It, I think it's a motion that's going to play, even if he doesn't stay as a starter, I do wonder if he could be a reliever and kind of work things out. So we got uh, gifts up on the site, and we're going to have a lot more coming shortly. But let's move on to the Major League squad. So the Tampa Bay Rays are two games above 500. Woo-hoo! We did it. We did it. It's over 500 again. Not, but I think we're at a Major League high for, uh, for, for our season. Have we have we had two wins above 500 all year? I'm not even sure. I could look it up, but I just I don't want to. That's I too just... much effort. So <laughs> the good news effort. is that the Rays are now third in the division with 34 wins. So they're 34 and 32. Uh, the Red Sox also have 34 wins, but they have played fewer games, so they are technically two wins ahead based on the win-loss column, whatever. But the Yankees are kind of running away with it right now. It's slightly problematic. Yeah, they're 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 just hitting everything right now. Uh, they're just still still staying hot. Um, which, you know, you you don't expect it to continue to be at this kind of level. But right now, as the Rays kind of win some series, the fact that the Yankees are also winning those series kind of equals it out and kind of tampers down the Rays. So when the Rays kind of regress a bit, the Yankees can also regress and not lose ground. So that's that's the kind of the the downside right now, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the Bronx bombers are just, uh, they're doing what they're doing. They're doing what they're doing. <laughs> Judiciously. If you yeah. will. Oh boy. Aaron uh, judge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 495 oh. feet. He's, That's... he hits balls very hard. Like a, like an angry man, but he doesn't, but he also just seems like a very, very peaceful man. He doesn't really seem like he, he really has, Strong emotions either way, but uh, boy, howdy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's neutral. So he's a, the, the Rays, uh, after we recorded on uh, last Tuesday, they they had a series against the White Sox for three games and a four-game series against Oakland. The three-game series against the White Sox, they took two of three. That's what you need to do. If the Rays are going to be competitive, they need to uh, consistently just take two of three and you can chip away. Mm-hmm. And... In that, the, the most interesting game there was Jake Faria making his Major League debut and getting the win. Uh, yeah, that was exciting. He, um, so, so Faria got the call-up, 
Um, I think there was, you know, it wasn't necessarily surprising. There's a lot of guys in the uh, in Durham that I think all have to be sort of on, you know, have, keep those phones on hand because uh, the Rays are going to be shuttling guys up. Um, but Faria gets the call up, uh, unlike Jose De Leon, to start a game. Well, De Leon um, is slightly injured again. Uh, there were some question marks about that when the Rays acquired him, but there was also question marks about Logan Forsythe being injured, and he's been injured this year as well. But well, that's a topic for another time. De Leon, slightly hurt, though, and Faria, surprisingly solid. How did you feel about his performance? Oh, he looked great. He looked great. Well, there was a lot of... Um, some some of the comparisons thrown around for, for Faria were sort of um, Jake Shield or Jake Shield James Shields. Uh, Jake Shields is a... UFC fighter. Um, no, James Shields, the former Tampa Bay Ray, uh, who really made his made his out pitch being that changeup, really commanding uh, the strike zone with that and and making some batters look foolish. That's sort of what uh, Faria did um, and mixed in some nice high strikes as well. Uh, yeah, he pitched very efficiently, very, very uh, encouraging start. He's a he's a he's a really easy guy to root for. Um, he's got a good personality, very, very fun guy. And, uh, yeah, it was super fun to see him, you know, get that start. He had, you know, his, uh, fiance and his family, uh, oh, and can stands. we talk about that sweet interview? So, yes. Jessica Soto. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, um, uh, no. Yeah. So Jessica Soto is his, uh, his lovely fiance. She uh, to um, you know her personally. Y'all are on a <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, uh, John Ford on the site actually got um, got a mention, got an at from uh, from Jessica after he commented oh, okay. how adorable she was. So uh, I mean, was if so she's sweet. if she's listening, if she's listening, uh, your your future husband is fantastic. We're we're rooting for both of you. Um, My goodness, great. I mean that moment when. Uh, what, what did Alex say to her? She, uh, the, the silent reporter, she was saying, oh, hey, um, what, is it, what does it mean to see uh, the Faria name on, on the back of the jersey? Because she was kind of saying, uh, we rushed here. We all flew in. I walked in the stadium. I bought this jersey. They put Faria on the back of it. She was just pumped about it. What, and, and Alex goes, what does it mean? And she goes, well, I used to make his jerseys for him in high school and at that moment you're just like oh i'm a puddle <laughs> it was it's just, just so too cute. it's just too cute it's just too damn cute um it but yeah, yeah it's it's also adorable were all of those chicago white Sox ground outs oh just so yes, cute. so cute so damn so cute. adorable oh. just trying to hit the ball and you know it just not leaving the infield it was so cute um should we be poo-pooing uh, Faria playing the White Sox? Because that was happening a little bit. It was a little bit of cold water being thrown on the start by saying, hey, you know, let's wait until he plays a good team. I am wholly <laughs> against that. I, I asked you a question. I jumped back in. I'm so sorry. But no, that's, I, all, that's all good. No, yeah, the, any poo-pooing for the White Sox shouldn't be there because they, they were kind of taking the Rays to the limit. They won the first game, and uh, the Rays were really running away from the White Sox in that second game, but uh, Faria really stepped up and um yeah so he's he's gonna be getting a chance he just got recalled uh thanks to unfortunately another injury to uh it's the same injury really so yeah re-injuring really uh they thought it was a a hip strain so to speak or, or a pulled groin uh something in that region they weren't too confident about 
uh, Andres jumped on the DL. He came back. He made it one inning. And then the race decided, no, we need a much longer stay on the disabled list. And it looks like he's not coming back until August. Yeah, so so we're going to be out Andres for a while. That's, that's very unfortunate. But uh, kind of in some exciting news, uh, Jacob uh, Faria is coming back. So don't know if that's going to be for kind of a long haul or if it's going to be a couple starts and then, you know, mix it up. But, uh, hey, it's exciting to see him come back because that first start was really, really encouraging. Um, he looked good and it's, he's a, he's a guy that's going to be really easy to root for. He's one of, he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit because you got Jose de Leon, you got Blake Snell, you got, Mm -hmm. uh, Brent Honeywell. These guys are pretty easy to root for and really exciting to project. Uh, Faria is sort of the guy that you're like, oh yeah. And and that guy's also there, but like Alex Cobb, when Alex Cobb was moving through the system, no one was sitting there being like, oh, just wait until he becomes our ace. And now I'm not to project that on Faria, but you know, it's hard to get amped about every single pitcher in the in the system. But the Rays methodically and slowly have been able to deliver on uh, prospects just like Faria, and I think uh, we're the beneficiaries yet again of having a great system at developing starting pitchers. Yeah, especially uh, guys that can command uh, the the changeup and uh, get ground balls. You know, you look at. Uh, James Shields, you look at Alex Cobb, two guys that weren't really expected to be the the ace and both developed into that. So, uh, yeah, don't count out Jacob uh, Faria. And Faria getting the call again, I think, does speak to his makeup in the same way that we were talking about how we like McKay possibly more than right because of that cool and collected attitude. Or someone like Austin Pruitt, who was a poor dude. I will never get over those first four major league <laughs> appearances. They devastated me, and I was just watching. And yet he was able to you know, sit there in the dugout and say, you know what, you know, I'm going to take my lumps, and I'm going to keep on pitching, and it's going to go just fine. And that's why the race trusted him throughout spring training to go out there and do that in the first place. Faria is exhibiting that same sort of mentality, that same major league calm, cool, and collected presence that you want. So it's very exciting. Uh, let's wrap up with the athletic series because we had good and we had bad. Uh, and the bad was real bad. The bad was real bad. Uh, and we don't mean the doubleheader, but we kind of mean the doubleheader. Um, let's start there because the other topic just going to make me sad. Uh, (laughs) the Tampa Bay Rays intentionally played a doubleheader, an old school 1970s throwback day which, by the way, was Matt Duffy bobblehead giveaway day. Uh, oh good, <laughs> good job with that, everyone. <laughs> he has not seen uh, the Rays roster yet this season with his several foot injuries. Um, still rehabbing. Uh, that first game was incredibly long. It was only 10 innings, which is astounding because it felt like it took six hours. And then they, the teams had to turn around and play again. I... I cannot imagine the players or the player association again agreeing to this way ahead of time. It wasn't a rainout that caused this. It wasn't some kind of uh, marketing point. It was just like, oh, we really enjoyed these. The Rays stood to lose money on the proposition because uh, you lose a full day of parking and you take a big concessions hit uh, if people aren't buying several meals. Now, maybe the extra innings almost made that happen. I'm not sure. But the Rays needed to sell like twenty to twenty five thousand tickets, and they didn't. And uh, even though the price point was like twenty five bucks for two games, 
which isn't the end of the world uh, for decent seats. It, it just kind of backfired for everyone. Yeah, we, we asked for this, apparently. And um, all right, uh, weird, but yeah. Um, Stu uh, Sternberg really wanted it, I believe. And that's, you know, <laughs> to his credit, he remembered the good old days of when those were really fun. This one was uh, not really yes. fun. Game back in the good, back seven... in the good old days, before lights were in stadiums okay. and polio could actually strike you down. <laughs> well, uh, tune into our other podcast, anti polio anti vaxxers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, let's bring it back on topic. Uh, the Rays <laughs> lost the second game. That's the point. Seven to two. It was not good. Uh, I mean, euphoric moment when Evan Longoria had that great walk off. Uh, in the first game, but it, it just backfired all around. Uh, the yeah. Rays did turn around and win on Sunday, five to four. Uh, even though Colome was looking like he was blowing the lead and loaded the bases. Uh, and he, has a, he, he rides a very, uh, yeah, he, he's an interesting, he always, always a little bit of adventure. It's a, it's a, it's a rocky ride with uh, Alex Colome. It goes, but you know, he's, he's, he's talented. And this is what, this is what uh, sometimes elite relievers do. they, they work themselves into jams, and then they're able to work themselves out of them. Uh, bad relievers work themselves into jams and then give up uh, home runs, and then they're not in the league anymore. So it's sort of the the life of a reliever is very small sample sizes and huge, huge uh, variance. Well, I'm not sure that Colomay last year gave up runs in back-to-back appearances, let alone back-to-back days. So this wasn't his best moment, and a lot of that has to do with how much the Rays have had to utilize him. And they're going to have to start turning to guys other than him fairly uh, regularly if they want this to actually work out. Now, Chase Whitley did end up, I think, being credited with the win in that game. Not that we love win and losses, but they do provide a narrative. And Chase Whitley has been uh, the setup man the Rays have needed. And Jumbo Diaz back off the disabled list. So... Uh, that's, Welcome back, Jumbo. That's nice. Oh, we're, we, we just have to go there. Kevin Kiermaier. Yes. <sighs> yes. Sliding into first base, feet first. Sliding into first is, is almost always, almost always a bad idea. Sliding and you know who said first. that verbatim? Kevin Kiermaier after Kevin the Kiermaier. game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know it's, that it's... sliding into second base is a bad idea. He yeah. said it. It's it's tough, you know. First base, you do have, and he also mentioned this. You do have a really big guy named Jose Abreu charging first base, uh, and he is built more like a wall than a man. So right, is, and he really provided no lane to Kiermaier to run through the back. No, no. But in a way, uh, we could have preferred like a like a flying like bicycle kick or something uh, to him than than a slide. But yeah, he slides in the first and immediately, immediately hits the bag, pops up very awkwardly, is in a lot of pain and down. And and you just knew immediately that it was a bad, uh, bad thing. And then it just got worse when he limped to the locker room. He had uh, he was on crutches crutches in the locker room. And the next day it was reported that he has a fractured hip. Just in tears in the in the videos that made it online, uh, man, it's just so sad, so frustrating. 
he was out two months last uh, last year with that wrist injury. Now this time it's a hip injury. Um, both of these are broken bones. I don't think this is some kind of fluky whatever. It's because Kevin Kiermaier plays all out. He never stops hustling. And I, I, to his credit, I would never hold that against Kiermaier for wanting to make the play at first base. Uh, despite what looked like an incoming collision and cho- choosing to slide. I mean, I agree with Kiermaier himself, who said sliding to first base is never a good idea. It, it slows you down. You get there later. He thought he was making the safe move. And how many times has he slid feet first into second base in his career? Sliding feet first into first base is fairly similar. So this is, uh, it's unfortunate. It's frustrating. Uh, Fortunately, this year, the Rays had a backup plan. Yes. Now, last year, we had uh, the the shell of Desmond Jennings and Brendan Geyer, who uh, is not the best defensive. He's he's solid, but um, he's more a corner outfielder. We oh, had Sousa going Mikey down. Matuk. Yep, Mikey Matuk. Um, yeah, so there, it was not a great cavalcade of... Uh, of uh, chuckleheads out there, but this year, this year, uh, we have a lot of great options. In fact, we almost had too many outfielders. So they're the the you never want to lose Kiermaier, but you want to be able to be prepared to lose a big player and have at least some backup plan. Um, right, you have so let's right get now, excited a lot for of the great. Peter Borges era. Woo! Um, but the Malik Smith era. Yeah, that you can't be excited about this. This guy as a element to the Rays that no other Ray has. Um, this is this is absolutely true. Not even Kevin Kiermaier, and that is uh, some unbelievable stolen base skills. My goodness, he, I mean, he is like almost vintage KK or uh, CC. Uh, Carl Crawford, some of those Carl Crawford records, um, they might be they might be in jeopardy. Yeah, at risk. I mean, um, he's never going to be the second Carl Crawford. We've had that discussion before about Desmond Jennings uh, when Joe Madden uh, was defending Desmond Jennings being promoted to the Major League roster. He said he's not the second Carl Crawford. He's the first Desmond Jennings. This is going to be the first Malik Smith. And Malik Smith is a unique talent with a ton of stolen base skill that is otherwise generally lacking. We have lots of speed on the Rays roster, but it generally does not translate into the base pass the same way that, I mean, no one wants to pitch to Malik Smith in his first few reps uh, this trip to the majors, and no one wants to pitch to the next batter when Malik Smith is on the bases. Instead, they're throwing to first base over and over and over again, and yet he's still getting two or three stolen bases in a day. Now, maybe that's the doubleheader messing with my memory. Forgive me. But it was <laughs> a ridiculous amount of stolen bases. No, so it was he stole second, then he stole third. Uh... And then he came back up and he stole second again. So there definitely was a three-steal game. And that's not something we've seen from this Ray squad all year or the year prior or the year prior. This is a, a fun new element. And because of that, he's hitting leadoff. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. He he just jumped. He's a brand-new leadoff, hit, leadoff hitter for the Rays. Um, he, he plays good defense. You know, he's not Kevin Kiermaier out in center field, but nobody is. So... Uh, right, Alex Smith you, out there. If you're used to watching Kevin Kiermaier, no matter who, <laughs> no matter who steps in, 
It's unless unless there's a time machine down. and Willie Mays emerges from that time machine, you're going to be a little disappointed. Well, Willie Mays never played on turf. Oh my God! No, no, no! I only Danny stands with that that um, that that standpoint. And, but it is true. It is true. It is true. That could that does uh, that does do wonders. But um, I feel like even on turf, Willie Mays might have got to even more balls with that speed. Um, Maybe so. Anyway, anyway, so uh, we're we're devastated. We're heartbroken yeah. that Kevin Kiermeyer isn't here uh, for two months. He's still sitting in the dugout, so he's not taking it easy. Uh, it's it's definitely wonderful to see him still chilling with the squad. But man, I, I'm so gutted that this happened to him again. That he's going to be missing two months. But this time, we're so grateful that there's a backup plan. Uh, that the Malik Smith era is actually going to get a real opportunity, and that he's actually doing something with that leadoff opportunity. Corey Dickerson is now our number two, by the way. Uh, he drops from leading off to uh, hitting second. That's appropriate because he's the best hitter on the team, bar mm-hmm. none. Gives so him a lot of at-bats. Second makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, he gets a lot of at-bats, and now with Malik Smith on the base, the idea of Malik Smith on first and Corey Dickerson at home plate that is a scary, frightening thing for every pitcher because you have Malik Smith taking crazy leadoffs and you have to keep an eye on him, but then you also have a guy that will swing at anything thrown in the remote vicinity of home plate and can make contact. Bounce Just it in the area code. To the hot, you know, above, above you know, the catcher, above the ump, he can still knock it for a single the other way. So, uh, yeah, Corey Dickerson and Malik Smith at the top are still in a really exciting pair. Um, but get well soon, Kevin Kiermaier, because... Uh, we already miss you. So, yeah, come to DRaceBay.com. We have a ton of draft uh, stuff, lot, everything you need. Um, lots of stuff about Brendan McKay and everything else. The Rays are going to be taking this uh, this week. Um, so the draft is very deep. And so we have some, some of our awesome, awesome writers diving deep and telling you all about who some of these people are. Because like we said in the last week, uh, once we get past the third round, we're going to be like... I those are just words together, and I guess that's a human person. But uh, <laughs> what is our, a Jake Cronenworth? <laughs> but you know what? Scott Grower knows who that is, so we're gonna just trust in him. Um, but yeah, come come to D Rays Bay, check out all of this great draft coverage. Um, also, as always, uh, please do uh, rate us and subscribe at iTunes. Um, if you want to give us a follow on Twitter at hit show podcast. And if you want to send us an email, that's at D Bay podcast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, I'm Darby. This is for Danny and Dustin. Uh, thank you guys so much. You've been listening to the hit show. The hit show is produced and engineered by Dustin Klingman. Make sure to check out all the newest and latest news about the Rays on DRaysBabe.com.